to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes. Good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know this. That's it. I'm done. One more base back to tax. I'm talking about Smith. Welcome on the board. SP futures down seven. NASDAQ futures down 30. It's the March that's down seven. We have to June today. So we're going to be in, we're going to be in June tomorrow. Lou, how are you, buddy? Good morning, sir. What's I'm good, doing good. What's the good word? What's the good word everywhere? Is there one? Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure we got, we got too many good words right now. I guess the, uh, the good word for today from an international relations perspective is switchblade. Switchblade. They're, they're yeah. illegal, aren't they? No, not, uh, not over the skies of Ukraine, they're not. Oh. So what exactly so, is switchblade? Enlighten if, us. If I've got my names, if I've got my names right, the switchblade is a, an AI powered drone that we've developed that will fly over a, it's got a, got a warhead on it and it flies over terrain looking for targets autonomously. It'll hover over a, over an area until it sees a good, a good chance to take out a target that it's been programmed to destroy. And then it dives on top of it and punches a hole in it. So it's an anti-armor, anti-truck, uh, anti-vehicle kind of, uh, kind of drone that, that you basically turn loose over an area and it, it hovers around and waits until it sees a target and then blows it up. And we're does shipping it, some of them to Ukraine. Does it survive? No, no, it's a suicide drone. Okay, um, not so good for the drone. Well, they're they're cheap enough that uh, it, it's at least as inexpensive as an anti tank missile. Uh, and uh, you know, it, it hovers. As I said it hovers over an area, so it gives you it gives you area denial capability for. Any kind of vehicle over a certain period. So I, I guess I don't know how many of them are shipping over there. I've known about the weapon system for a while. It's um, it's it's pretty interesting. And um, uh, you know, at some point, at some point, I, I wonder whether the Russians are going to say, you know, that that's too much. But I I don't think they've got the capability really to interdict interdict those uh, those supply lines from the West. Otherwise, they would have done it already. What, um, when do you think they're going to get, well, I don't know, boy, this is a, I was uh, talking to one of my learned learned attorney buddies the other day. There are a few of you guys that are, are learned, you know. Um, you know a handful. Well, neither one of us, and that's why I was hoping to, for the Lou, the Lou interview, uh, I don't really see a, a negotiated way out of this right now today. Do you? No. Well, yeah, there's a negotiated way out of it. Uh, the uh, the uh, Zelensky government folds, and they put they put uh, government friendly to Russia in there. Well, I, that's not what my my idea of a negotiated was. Is that the current people decide we're going to stop fighting, and here's what's going to happen? I don't. I think there's. Oh no, much. you don't mean a, you don't mean a negotiated settlement. You mean a compromise settlement. Yes. And, well, yes. And there's no. No, there's. I don't. 
I don't think there's any compromise in the in the Russian side of this. I don't. I think it would be politically and perhaps physically very dangerous for uh, Putin to uh, to stop right now. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I say I don't see how they could even. Even if you know somebody said, "Okay, uh, we won't join NATO for twenty years," you can have these two Russian-speaking areas, or they can be independent, with leaning on you instead of us. I don't see how. You, even if you pulled back, what about all the damage? I mean, oh, no harm, no foul, and wrecking the whole damn place. I mean, I, I don't see any. I, I don't, I'm very oh, nervous. I, I don't see an I, outcome. I, I think the Russians would be perfectly happy to uh, move a bunch of their uh, construction teams and other outfits into uh, into Ukraine to help uh, help rebuild it with with Russian labor and uh, Russian influence. Um, but it's got to happen under the terms that Putin will accept. And, and remember, they started this thing with, I think, the expectation that they were going to have the entire country within a matter of days. And Yeah, well, that didn't work out. Uh, I mean, it hasn't worked out yet. Right. They're, well. they're still, you know, they're still there. They're still shooting missiles. They're still dropping artillery on on cities and uh, you know inflicting misery on the Ukrainian people, I, I think I think Putin is taking the you know is taking a view of a my people by domestic situation my people can outlast any Western sanctions or any discomfort imposed by Western sanctions and uh, and b um, I can I can um, inflict enough pain and suffering on the West that they will fold ultimately because Russians are tougher than anybody else. Uh, see that the Ukrainian government will eventually, because it cares about its people more than I care about my people, it will eventually come around to uh, accepting the limitations that I, I'm going to impose on it, and, uh, and and that's his that's his view. Well, as as other, but in, in terms of uh, as of right now, anyway, for me, so I like to ask somebody who's closer to it. Um, it seems to me that the resolve from the West, at least from what you read and hear, of course, I, every day I, I'm astounded what I read and hear, uh, seems to be getting harder, not easier. And I'm to the point to the point where one of these days he's going to say, "You you're, you really declared war on me." I'm fighting you too. I mean, that, it's kind of we're almost at that stage, aren't we? Um, I, I don't know what you know. I don't know what his his line is. Nobody does. That's part of the that's part of the, the frightening part of this. But the Russians do not have the military capability to to operate against a NATO force in a conventional sense. And if if the um, if NATO, I mean, if NATO decides that it wants to start putting military pressure in a, in a more direct form on uh, on the Russians, I think they would find themselves, you know, the Russians would find themselves in dire straits very quickly, and it, that that's number that that might cause a, a push to either chemical the use of chemical or nuclear weapons. Well, that's what I'm. That's obviously one of my greatest fear. I mean, I was reading was it yesterday the uh, is it the Swedish or somebody have some anti tank gun that's uh, was it two people can hold or one people one person's a seedman or somebody is, is, they're going to ship them like five thousand or something. I mean, that's what that's a lot. 
Yeah, I think it's a call called the Carl Gustav, uh, and a, a recoilless, it's a recoilless, uh, anti-tank, uh, anti-tank system. Yeah, those are pretty good. The, uh, the NG law, the next generation light anti-tank weapon that, that we're sending in, that we have been sending in there now, is actually made by Saab. And, uh, it's a very effective, a very effective weapon. So, again, we, I talked about it last week, I talked about this concept of dispersed lethality. The, the idea that you can you can suddenly turn, you know, an individual soldier into an anti-tank gun with a with a you know greater than sixty percent probability that the, that she's going to be able to kill a tank, or you could turn a grandma into a into a one-person uh, air defense uh, zone who can who can shoot down anything within two miles of her with a with a, a man pads. Um, this creates all kinds of, of nightmares for for the Russians' ability to, to move freely within the within the country. At at some point, and they're they're I mean they're already they're going to China now with requests for uh, uh, field rations. Um, their logistics capability is stretched right to the limit. If if NATO was to come in, I think that would that would do two things. It would it cause an immediate escalation by the by the Russians because. They cannot fight toe to toe conventionally with a with NATO right now, and and that that would create all kinds of problems. I will propose something that I haven't heard any of my my fellow pundits, if that's if I can use that term, propose in terms of how this escalates. Um, it would not surprise me that the Russians would be considering the use of some kind of, of chemical weapon. Uh, widespread uh, nerve agent or something like that, a, a blister agent that would cause significant casualties that have to be treated and at the same time scare the living daylight out of everybody else in Ukraine and cause Ukraine, to the government of Ukraine to say, look, you know, heroism and liberty and everything else is great, but if this guy's going to poison our country with with gas and agents that are that will stay active for weeks and months and years, then, then we gotta we gotta back off if we can't get some help. If the Russians escalate using chemicals, and I think I think that's more if they're gonna go to something like, like that, I think that's more likely than than uh, low well, low that's been, weapons. That's been against the rules of warfare since World War One, for God's sake. I know not that well, people haven't done it. I I, I mean I, it's it's against it's against treaties, so so I mean but but you know they they've used the Russians have used chemical agents, um, or their their uh, proxies have, in Syria, with no, you know, no serious retaliatory effect. Except, I mean, Trump Trump's people went after him, um, and and so the the Russians noted that um, if they do that, you know, what's NATO's response? This is this is somebody way, said, well, we really don't. Yeah, this somebody is, said we really don't have a response. So I said, well, I I can give you a response. We take Kaliningrad. Kaliningrad is a uh, Russian-claimed piece of territory. It used to be part of Germany. Uh, it, was, it was called Königsberg or something like that back in the in the when it was it was German. But it sits on the Baltic, and the Russians occupied it after World War One. And when and when the war was over, and when Germany East, East Germany came into existence. The Russians maintain that territory, and they call it part of their territory. It's a military bastion, but it's isolated from Russia by uh, you know 200, 300 miles. It has no physical connection to the Russian border. 
you know, we just we just tell the Russians, okay, you use chemical weapons, we're, we're going to take Kaliningrad. We're going to wipe out that military garrison, and we're going to reoccupy that territory and give it back to Germany. And if you do something stupid like that again, it, it, there's going to be some other, you know, there's going to be some other territorial loss. So, um. so it, I mean, this is this is what the escalation game looks like. And again, somebody, and and I'm I'm, I know this calculation is being made somewhere, but I haven't seen any public discussion of it. Somebody is going to have to stand up and say, look, are we willing to go toe to toe with a nuclear power, the second largest nuclear power in the world? Are we willing to go toe-to-toe with them over this piece of territory? Well, I... Or, or, do we, or do we say, you know what, if you guys are willing to nuke a place or willing to use chemical weapons on a place, we're going to let you have it now. Um, if you do it somewhere else, we'll, we'll, we'll fight you. But for right now, we're going to let you have it. Well, I'm going to say that, uh, and this probably means nothing, uh, it, in, in, in today's world with the, uh, boy, I keep saying today's world with the multimedia and all the other crap, there's a, uh, there's like this attention span. You, you either, uh, get on board where it stays live or everybody forgets about it in two or three days. I mean. He's counting on that too. But I mean, I, but he, I think he, I think he's way past that. I think he, in Syria, Syria was, was a bleep hole that, Everybody was was killing everybody. You couldn't tell the, the players without a scorecard. Right? It was, well, Syria is one of those places where after after they bomb, you know, after you bomb a place in Syria, it's hard to tell that there's you know what actually was done to it. Well, that's right. It looks pretty much the same as it did before you bombed it. Yeah, it's like a scratch in one of my old cars. You know, which which one was mine? You know, type of thing. Uh, but no, I, what I'm saying is, but now if if he starts dropping chemical stuff here, I don't see how the country Russia comes back from it in 50 years. I mean, the the, the world opinion is going to be dramatic. Not It's not going to be like Syria. And I, you know, I to the point where it's going to be clamoring for people to, to for dumb people to even start a war against these guys or start shooting back. I, I think he's going to totally misread the idea that people are going to forget about that because it's going to be, it's not going to be like Syria. I don't think. Just like this war is not like if he'd have taken over two of the provinces like he wanted and said, look, these are really ours in the first place and wrapped it up within a week, by now nobody would care. But he didn't. And I think he made a that's, serious... That's, that's what I thought. Well, you know, that's what I thought he was going to do. And I told you, either on the, say, on the air or in an email when we were discussing this, that I think this is a horrific strategic error by, by the Russians. But, but having said that, I, I guarantee you, you know, no, no alliances are permanent. No hatreds are permanent. I, I guarantee you that you know next winter, if the Russians, if, if unless Europe ch- dramatically changes its its uh, energy policy with respect to Russian natural gas, next winter, if they the Russians decide they're going to turn the spigots off, or they decide they're going to start selling natural gas and oil at a cut rate to uh, Western Europe. And you know, people people can't heat their homes, and and businesses start to start to shut down because of the energy issues. I I guarantee you, people will say, "Well, we're going to need that buy from Russia, regardless." So too bad what happened in Ukraine, but we're going to need to we're going to need to keep our houses warm. I'm not so sure that that transaction, even in a world of hatred, can't take place. Well, let me put it this way: 
if if in fact that happens, then then you don't uh, you don't have an ability to shut down what happened what's happening in Ukraine absent an absent a military option. Well, it's going to be there's there's two two problems. One, some people can't get heat. The other people can't get money. And I don't I don't know that uh, uh, you know there, there's there's stuff starting to happen already. I mean, this week there's a hundred million dollar payment coming from Russia, and I remember long term capital in 1998, right when the Russians uh, defaulted. I was in Moscow when that happened. Really? Well, but I mean, there's people. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I, I got a chance. I, I told you the story. I got a chance to watch hyperinflation in in real time. I I, I walked out of the. I walked out of the hotel and with some Russian friends who told me, how much money have you cashed out into rubles? And I said, you know, I cashed, I cashed uh, $200 because I was going shopping. They said, don't cash any more money out in rubles. And the exchange rate at that point was right around, I think, 2,200 rubles to the, or no, 1,200 rubles to the dollar, something like that. 1,200? Yeah, it was inflated. But it was, it was, that was, I think that was the number. Sounds like the lira. And, Sounds like the lira. Well, it was. And by, so that was like at 10 o'clock. By noon, it had gone to 5,000. Yeah. And that's what I was getting for the, for the, for a dollar. It was 5,000 rubles. And by, by like the end of the day, it was like eight or 9,000. And, and literally the Russian merchants that I was dealing with, Stopped taking rubles sometime after, shortly after lunch. Well, they would have loved to take I, in your dollars. Oh no, that's what they did. They took they took dollars. Yeah. I I walked in to buy. I bought some uh, matryoshkas and uh, some shkatulki, uh, uh, the the little Russian lacquer boxes, and uh, some other some other items for people back home. And because this was like I was leaving like leaving two days from then, and uh, it it. It was unbelievable watching what was happening, and and the average Russian citizen, who suddenly, I mean, they couldn't they couldn't change prices on on basic items fast enough. So at some point, as I said, mid afternoon, they just stopped taking rubles. Well, for instance, and if you Lou, were a Russian trying to go out and buy milk that evening on your way home from work, and you didn't have dollars, you could get it. Well, what if uh, in the last five weeks, four weeks? We didn't have the electronic price things and the uh, gas stations, and some schmucks still had to go up the ladder and change them. Imagine how busy he'd have been. Yeah. Well, we would have had a lot more workers' compensation injuries. Yeah, run up that ladder. <laughs> people, people Fall taking out, the ladder out. out. <laughs> car carpal tunnel syndrome, spinning those dials on the on the uh, meters. <laughs> so, so I think I think to go back to your point, at this stage, and and we're not again. This we have a Western outlook, and, and you especially have a Western economic outlook on this, which is look for the right price. You can get it. You can get anything, and that's that's not the case. The right economic price. Well, uh, I know you. I know price. you've accused that's not me the that. Case in Russia. I know you've accused me of that. And by the way, you're probably right. Uh, um, I do have an economic sort of. Uh, why are we going to do something that's going to totally screw us? But. One thing I will push back on you a little bit is the people that you have so eloquently talked about being the uh, the goombas essentially over there that uh, have become the guys with the yachts and the, and the big and, the, and all this all this wealth and own the New Jersey Nets and everything else. 
I think they've become more like me than like Putin. They want their stuff, Lou. And I, I don't know that they're ready to, 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 to their country to go totally down the rat hole to prove a point. Especially if their stuff's included in the rat hole. Yeah. So I, I would not surprise me a bit if, if the, uh, Russian government had some way of getting these guys. And, and you know, I think that, I think if you're an oligarch, a successful oligarch in Russia, that means you've pledged your allegiance to, uh, to Putin and his, and his team. And if you were to lose that, if you were to suddenly change your mind, I think all sorts of unpleasant stuff could happen to you. And more importantly, all sorts of unpleasant stuff would start happening to your family. I, I don't disagree, Brent, but I guess what I'm saying is if there's a hundred people that once were lean, mean, fighting machines, and they all get a little fat and happy, and by the way, Putin's pretty fat and happy too, I think, uh, and then and somebody says, hey, remember, remember we used to go be a guerrilla warfare guy in, in, a, in a Spanish revolution? Yeah, but that was 20 years ago. I was young. I'm not doing it anymore. I mean, I mean, people, their, their perspective on things change as, as they age. Oh, I, I agree with you. But, but again, over in the background on this is, is the Russian government that re, in the form of Vladimir Putin. And, and it's quite clear that he takes a lot of this stuff personally. I, obviously. I, yeah, I would, yeah. I would, I would not be surprised if you were to say something like that. Uh, the next thing that would, might happen is is your daughter might oh, uh, I'm, I'm you not, know, your adult daughter might disappear i uh, i'm not i will i will never debate you on that what i'm what i'm saying is is that the idea that all there's an awful lot of people around him not the average russian that has ended up having a pretty damn nice life and if his drive to be czarist ukraine i don't know that, that that's universal among all those people I think there's a lot more public support for that than you might you might think. Number one, okay. Number number two, it it doesn't matter whether they support him intellectually or or emotionally or or not. What matters is the reach of of the Russian FSB and the the physical danger and physical threats that are out there for anybody in a position like this who has benefited from Putin's largesse uh, if they if they were to cross him publicly or even or even privately well I mean I guess now, he's, he's so you're saying you're saying there's a, a, he's established a system uh, and a precedent where you know I mean they they used uh, nerve agents against uh, Russians on on British soil and 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 outside Russia where they've poisoned, they've poisoned people, and and people know this. They've got they've got the reach to get you. They want to get you. Well, I guess so you, what we're sort of arguing, Lou, is there is there no limit to what he can wreck his own people in other places before somebody says that's enough? Whoever to somebody is, I just think somewhere is, there's a limit always to somebody what somebody can do. I don't know what that limit um, is. There, there there is, but it's going to take. You know, is there is there a limit on on what he could do? There there might be, but there was no limit on what Joseph Stalin could do. Uh, there yeah. was virtually no limit on what Mao Zedong could do. If Joseph if Joseph Stalin and you know I'm talking about a recent precedent in Russian history. Yep. Oh, if yeah. Joseph if Joseph Stalin decided that that you know he didn't you know he didn't like you or you look crossways at him, you you were gone. 
I mean, all I'm saying is that I'm, I'm, I'm inter- interjecting, uh, and again, from my my side of the coin, which you say is, is, is totally wrong in this area, which it probably is. I'm interjecting is when, when people f- get get the fruits of economic largesse, their personality can change. And for him to count on all these guys to be like they were 20 years ago, even with his long arm of the hammer, uh, I don't know that that goes forever. Is all I'm saying. I I think we I think we underestimate in the West the effect and the impact of fear. Well, I'm, try, I'm trying not to because I, I see I see day to day life. I, I see it going down in China. I mean, no matter what, I mean, Jack Ma, look how big he was. That didn't last. Look, look at the guys over in uh, Saudi Arabia. I mean, that guy managed to take control there, and but he tortured all the big guys for what six months in the. And he killed a few others, and I mean, the, the guy's a brutal murderer. I, I think. I mean, yet, and yet he's he's there, and he's and he's running the. So it's not just Russia. I'm with you, bud. I'm not. I'm not. I, you know, I'm just saying when you when you see somebody's uh, yacht being carted off, never to be used again, he's going to sit there and go, "Do I really care about Ukraine?" I mean, that, I'm just saying that would be my response. Uh, again, and I understand that. But if you understood that, and I understand that position, but if you believe, and you have every reason to believe that if you were to make a, a play where you challenged Putin or you called up a bunch of your fellow oligarchs... Uh, I, didn't go, I didn't go that far. For? I didn't go that far. I just say, but it, it comes down to more of somebody else had something going. Maybe you don't try and stop him as fast as you would have 20 years ago. I, I'm, I, I, that would be, again, an indication of some kind of disloyalty. And if you believe that at the slightest movement on the, in that direction, that somebody would be would be dropping polonium in your tea, or smearing a nerve agent on your door handle of your car where you wouldn't see it, you just touch it and then you die, or they would do it to your children, or or whatever. Um, if you believe that, then that would, I think that would shut you down pretty quickly. Well, they did. They did end up getting the stone, right? No, Stalin died of natural causes. That's uh, not what I'm hearing. I'm reading lately. Well, it, it Stalin. The impact of, of Joseph Stalin in Russia was was so dramatic and so pervasive. I mean, maybe one of his maybe one of his lieutenants got to him. I, I've heard. I've heard. I mean, that rumor has been floating around for you know sixty years. Um. I don't think he was assassinated. See, see, see you I don't believe the, uh, you don't believe the huge hit of, uh, of, uh, Kuminen vis-a-vis rat poison in his vodka the night he bled out. Um, I, I, I don't. Okay. Um, I mean, it's possible. Somebody, somebody close to him could have done it. Maybe one of his, you know, who, who knows? But it, it, it wasn't, let me put it this way. Whoever it was, if it was somebody, and I'm not convinced that it was, because, because the stuff that he had done up to that point, he had done far worse things than what he was contemplating doing at, at that point with the, the pogrom against the the, uh, the Jews that he was about to initiate. He'd done far worse things than that up to that to that point, and nobody nobody done anything against him. We got to dash um, off here to break. We got I talked about what's going on in Washington. We can back. SP is down thirteen. NASDAQ is down fifty eight. Be right back. Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. 
The Control Freak's Guide to Life, Money, and Probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. 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 Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right now. Right here, right there, right now. Hello, Dr. Bay Station Jackson. I'm Tom Allen. Mr. Mel Weber on the board. SP futures up 1275. NASA futures, I'm sorry, down 1275. So it used to be an up the last two days. Uh, NASA futures down 47, just down 50, but it's right about been in that area. Dow futures down 78. Uh, individual stocks, uh, not really much happening anywhere in the, actually had, uh, Chevron Tech's go up two bucks, it's been getting hammered, really going down. But everything else in the Dow is down slightly, but nothing, nothing of any kind of craze. Over in Europe, DAX, we got an inside day over here. DAX down 69.5, it's like a pause, last five or six days have been crazy one direction or the other. FTSE up eight, call that flat, CAC ran up 16.2%, so very quiet over in Europe. Nikkei up 890, 3.4. Of course, piling on from our stuff yesterday. Shanghai up 44, that's 1.4. Get a load of this. Hang Seng up 1,407%. Uh, the, now, Hang Seng was down, I'm going to say, over 30% on the year. They probably made back at least a third of that the last couple of days, maybe 12% of that. So it's a, a pretty good bounce back. Uh, a lot of these tech stocks, and we'll talk to Lou about that in a minute, uh, that all of a sudden we're going to get booted, now all of a sudden aren't booted. It's it's crazy world. Uh, U.S. yesterday, Dow up 516, but this is a big one. S&P up 95, the future direction up 105. NASDAQ up 487, that's almost 4%. Uh, Bonds, 10-year, 2.14, that's actually down 5 basis points. Uh, kind of makes you wonder, this incredible inflation fighting our useless Fed is doing. I'm sorry. Bund, bund up, bund positive 0.39. 
Uh, Japan, uh, positive 0 uh, oil up 470 to 99.74, pushing back at 100. Uh, Brent, back over 100, up 515, 103.17. Natural gas up 5 cents, 480. Arbab up 11 cents, back up to 309. We've got gold, a little bit of rally in gold. Finally, after getting hammered for a few days, but it was down from 2010 to 1905. Now it's back up to 1944, so that's 35 hours today. Silver up 87 cents, 25.58. And these swings day to day are really something. Copper up two cents, uh, 462, and we've got Bitcoin up 50 bucks at 40,736. Many we got for us, Trevi Weather Sports. The Irish. The yeah. Irish. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day, speaking yeah. of Irish. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We have one crash in the area, and it's a significant one on the northbound Edens just before Foster, which is exit 42. There's a crash blocking the two left lanes, and that's causing stop-and-go traffic on the Edens. It's not affecting the Kennedy yet, but uh, certainly uh, on the outbound Edens, uh, you're going to slow down as you approach Foster as this crash is blocking the two left lanes. No issues on the inbound side. Kennedy still looking good, as is the Eisenhower and Stevenson, though traffic starting to build. Southside expressways are looking good as well. Only other crash in the area is uh, way out in the western suburbs. Powers Road at Harvester Road, there is an accident. And that's uh, way out in uh, the Streamwood area. But everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, uh, not as nice as yesterday, but still uh, nice and above normal. Overcast skies with a high of 59. Right now it is mostly clear and 54 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 80 today. Right now it's clear and 64. In sports, the Bulls lost in Utah last night to the Jazz, 125-110. Suns blew out the Rockets, 129-112. But it was uh, the NCAA tournament continuing with the second half of the first four. And it saw number 11 seed Notre Dame beat number 11 seed Rutgers, 89-87 in double overtime. A terrific back-and-forth game with a lot of guys making key shots. So the Irish will advance and fly to San Diego, which they probably did uh, overnight last night, as they'll take on number six-seeded Alabama tomorrow uh, out in uh, Where was the California, game last night? In Dayton. That's Weird. where the first four is always played in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, the other game last night was number 16, Wright State, over number 16, Bryant, 93-82. to The tournament begins in earnest today. It's the uh, tip-off of the NCAA tournament uh, this morning, 11.15 Central Time. Number 11, Michigan, will get underway against number 6, Colorado State. Of course, Michigan, it was announced that their starting point guard is out because he had a concussion uh, that must have happened in, in a practice, and he's out uh, indefinitely. They're hoping if they win, he could be back for Saturday's game, but uh, not good when your starting point guard's out. Other games of note, number 9, Marquette, will take on number 8, North Carolina today. Number 5, Iowa versus number 12, Richmond. And number 12, Indiana, who advanced out of Dayton on uh, Tuesday night, they'll take on number 5, St. Mary's. Those are the uh, sort of Big Ten Midwestern teams that are in action today. In baseball news, uh, the Cubs made a big splash yesterday, signing Japanese uh, all-star outfielder Seiya Suzuki uh, to a reported five-year, $70 million deal, plus the $15 million they had to pay the team. So it turns out to be $85 million Is he any, any relation to the Ichiro? Not that I know of. I, Suzuki, I think, is a pro- uh, very common surname over there. Uh, but uh, he was the MVP uh, last year uh, with a 317, 433, 639 slash line, 38 home runs, 26 doubles, and 88 RBIs. We'll see how that translates in the big leagues, but it uh, gives the Cubs some outfield depth that they needed. 
Some former Cubs uh, signed their free agent contracts yesterday. Chris Bryant, uh, the headliner, a seven-year, $182 million deal with the Rockies. Rizzo is going back to the Yankees at a two-year, $32 million deal. And Schwarber signed with the Phillies, four years, $79 million. So Jed Hoyer has to be feeling pretty good because reportedly he offered Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez much bigger contracts than they ended up signing in the open market. Schwarber, however... Uh, bet on himself, had a really good year with the Red Sox last year, and he got a nice deal in Philadelphia. Well, his uh, value just went up with the new, with the uh, other DH. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, don't forget, I'm going to get to watch Chris Bryant out here in uh, in Denver now. Yeah. That's right. And uh, he's, uh, I, I believe, 30 years old, so he should have a lot of good years left, and then hitting in Coors Field makes everyone better. Yeah, I, have a- he, he, I, I was telling somebody uh, yesterday that, that, you know, I... I I loved watching that guy play in his first year and, and second year in the league, and uh, he's he's still the kind of hitter that could could do some real damage. I would agree. Hey, Lou, uh, logistics question. By the way, uh, what what's today? I mean, I'm, other than St. Patrick's Day, two years ago, today was the day the music died, right? All the bars and restaurants got slammed shut in Chicago. That's right. And I'm very much looking forward to having a group of people at the Triple E tonight and having a corned beef sandwich and celebrating that being over. Just saying. And how uh, how's your mayor? How's your mayor doing? Oh okay. God! I, I was I, I heard I heard there was a lot of fun at the St. Patrick's parade with her up on some float somewhere. Oh, I, I didn't I didn't hear that, but I, I they get a load of this. They're they're fighting so much over these the new ward boundaries that it's going to end up having to go to a vote. Two different maps. Wow. You know, uh. Well, is Madigan, is, is this thing with Madigan got legs? Oh, sure. Speaking of, of, of problems. Uh, yeah, except, uh, here's my question for you. In this world we live in, uh, Lou, as you know, I, I, I don't know if I, if I bother you with it or I'm educating you, this, what's going on with these big companies. Explain to me, Lucy, how the bleep you, indict him for accepting all this money from Commonwealth Edison in return for legislation and, and ridiculously high electric bills and you and, and you hold Commonwealth Edison harmless. Um well it depends on what kind of evidence you've got. They got all kinds, evidently. I I'm I'm I don't know if you I don't know if you do. I mean it may be that it may be that they're going to pick off Commonwealth uh, Commonwealth Edison eventually. Yeah. I, you've heard me talk about this before. The the key is is not necessarily to go after the company, but to go after the individuals in the company with with jail time. And, well, and I don't I don't know I, I'm not familiar enough with the case as to what they what they have in terms of people or or whatever. It would not surprise me if they if they basically went to comp to uh, ComEd and said, look. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna take X number of your executives and subject them to criminal prosecution if you don't turn over all the, Lou, uh, you know, evidence you've got of, of bribery that, uh, that this guy engaged in. Let the record reflect. I've, uh, mentioned this story a couple times that, uh, your friend Greg, who's been on the show, uh, a couple times, uh, good guy, he, he, he had an extra he bought uh, two, uh, I guess, are they tickets or what are they for the uh, p- political function for uh, the then's head of the, the, the then Republican head of the Senate. In, uh, so he would be the minority leader. 
of the of the Illinois Senate Republican guy. Yeah. Um, so he has this shindig out in uh, I think it was in Burr Ridge or one of those one of those high end high end places out west. Uh, so I'm I'm the I'm the wingman, right? So off we go, and we're we're sitting at the bar having you know a glass of wine. And that morning I just I had just uh, totally ranted and raved about Commonwealth Edison and how they're uh, when they hire all these lobbyists and all they do is all they do is mess with these guys and pay for this and pay for that and go to this function. And and the weird part is that they can be considered that those are expenses in running your business. So when you go to the the ICC in Chicago or in Illinois, and you say we need a rate increase. Well, here's why: we paid all these attorneys and lobbyists, which is, to me, you know, the logic of that. I can't even, you know, I left it in third grade somewhere. So, of course, I just did this huge rant that particular morning. Well, it's actually even worse than that. It's it's we need to raise our rates so that we can continue to state the members of the ICC and their yeah. staffs. <laughs> At well, various functions. Well, so this guy, then there's this, uh, you know, well, I think, I don't know what Greg paid. I'm going to say 250 a head to go to, to have the cocktail hour. Or if you wanted dinner, it was like another 250 So he, he didn't pony up to 250 and I sure as hell wasn't going to because <laughs> I'm like a fish out of water at this place anyway. Uh, but I went just to see what's going down. And I'm sitting there minding my own business. And there's one guy next to me talking about getting a, put up a pizza factory out in the west side. He was having trouble, so he was going to donate money and maybe these guys could... Let some of the, you know, the, the the rancor he was getting fall apart, even though it was just like a legitimate business. And uh, so this very, very attractive, not that I noticed, young lady comes stand next to me, and she's got an outfit. I don't know much about girls' clothes, but I knew this was this was uh, uh, Oak Street. You know, this wasn't uh, Coles, right? And, uh, right? and so I go, by the way, uh, you know, what were you here for? And I, I had just taken a swig of wine. I don't know how I didn't spit it out. Guess what she says? I'm 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 a lobbyist for Commonwealth Edison. Okay. <laughs> so I go, uh, really? And then she says, "Well, are you coming to the dinner?" Now you can't tell me, Luda. Once in a while, I'm not quick on my feet. Instead of saying we were paid, we were podied up for the ticket, <laughs> I say, "Oh, you know, we got we got several of these things to do every night. We, we're we go to a lot of these things. We got another we got another function to go to." <laughs> Talk about a load of crap, but but I was quick with that. You got to admit, right? Fair enough. Um, so so get a little well without mentioning his name. The day that Madigan gets indicted, this particular guy is now on, on TV in Chicago saying what an outrage it is that people would be taking money from Commonwealth Edison and how this has got to stop. <laughs> I mean, Lou, it doesn't change. It's, what was the no. guy's, what was the guy's name who ran a Commonwealth Edison? Sam Insull? He, he was the, he was the guy that, that Roosevelt put through the, the Public Utility Holding Company Act against because the guy was such a bleep. And, in, in that way, but he was a, he was a brilliant guy in terms of elect, electrical production, but, but, so it, it doesn't change. They've been doing this for a hundred and some years. There's gonna be another Madigan that takes money from these guys to get legislation through that raises our rates. It, it, it never ends. Just well, saying. no, that's the that, and and I I must say that is is one of the gratifying things about moving from Chicago to Denver is is the immediate drop in the number of indictments and just outright um, banality of of the political culture here. It, you know, you you just don't you don't see the kind of 
pay to play, the brazen, you know, you have to bribe me to get, get what you want kind of operation here in Denver that you, you saw routinely in Illinois. And, and I've, I've commented on that when I lived there about how unbelievably corrupt the culture was and how that trickled down into everything that you ran into from your little league, you know, runner-up, world champion runner-up or whatever they were, the, 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 that, that team that they doctored the, they doctored the zones from which they were taking the kids to the guy stealing all the, all the nickels and quarters and dimes out of the, out of the tolls machines to, to, you know, every single thing. And, and I mean, and now I understand that, that our, you know, the Obama's good buddy Jesse Smollett's been released from jail. Yeah, yeah. While, while his, his appeal goes forward. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, what was the basis for that? Uh, we got the right appeals court, Judge. Give him, the, give him another opportunity to stage a hate crime somewhere? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it never ends. And, and, yeah, it, it, it's a never ending for, uh, Parade there. And, well, the uh, and, and well, this whole thing with it, the I got. I want to ask you, which by the way will take you back to Russia if you're interested in talking about a corrupt culture. Well, well you know, but let me. Have, I want to go forward with this because I want to talk to you a little bit about how these 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 uh, Chinese companies have been dealt with in the last month or two. Um, but I have, I have a question regarding if what is what is the quote logistics of sending stuff to help the people in Ukraine? Oh, if I if I wandered off to a, a Soldier of Fortune convention, which they do have, right? Does the, that magazine still come out? That's a good question. I actually know. I actually know some guys who were involved in something like this in Afghanistan. Well, my that's why I'm that's why I'm asking you. My wacko buddy from CBOE, Florida, he was a wacko. He went to that convention. He ended up getting his picture taken with G. Gordon Liddy. <laughs> Anyway, it was, the pictures were bizarre, shall we say? And to say that there's a lot of good-looking ladies wandering around these knuckleheads of the Soldier of Fortune thing is a is a understatement. But my point: if I decided to buy, you know, if I was Daddy Warbucks and I want and I wanted to help the people over there, and I wanted to buy, you know, a thousand of these missiles you're talking about. Well, let's let's do something. Let's do something a little more straightforward. Bulletproof vest. Okay. Uh, so, how do I? Do I land these things logistically? Do they? Do I land them close in Poland and then go across some dirt road? In which case, the, the Polish, I'm sure the Russians are pissed at the Polish people. Or do I find a spot in Ukraine to land, whether it's like the, you know, the French underground during World War II, where they you land a plane, you sneak in under radar, and you, you drop the thing, and off you go. I mean, uh, I mean, what? How, how exactly is this stuff getting there? I guess is my question. Um, I think it's getting there by both official and unofficial means. I mean. I don't know if FedEx is still operating there, but I know that rail, heavy rail delivery services, I mean, they, they smuggled the leaders of Poland and some other couple of other places by train into Kiev yesterday. And they were, they were speaking in Kiev and then, and then got back out again. So, I mean, you, you can get, you can get movement in and out of there. I, I think the way it's probably going, there are, there are NGOs, non-governmental organizations, that are in Poland right now, and a few other places, but mainly Poland, that are, are basically offering trucks for hire. That you can you can transfer your stuff from Poland into uh, into one of these vehicles, and they'll truck it in. You can also ship it by rail. I don't know the logistics on that. 
Um, I suspect you could fly it into the airports in some of those places, but that's getting increasingly dangerous. Again, what what are the Russians trying to do? I, I, I think they're stretched. They're they're pretty well stretched logistically. Otherwise, they'd be cratering those runways and blowing up those rail lines, and they're not doing it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they're like I think you had the the greatest uh, comment on the whole thing that they really didn't plan on having to do this. No, no, they they expected. Uh, we talked about this yeah. last week. I think they expected this to be a decapitation strike. Where, where they would, they would get their teams into Kiev, uh, kidnap, kill the Ukrainian leadership, kill Zelensky, kill his, his cabinet, uh, or arrest them. Better yet, arrest them and just torture the hell out of them so that they, they advocate. Uh, and, and then, and then move their forces in very quickly, uh, with, uh, with total confusion on the part of the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense so that there would be virtually no resistance. And, um, yeah, I, I I think this has been a total surprise to them, and more importantly, I think the arming of the of the Ukrainian military with with Western weapons that could do some real damage to the forces that they sent in there has been a, a even greater surprise. So they they've been sort of shocked at the fact that NATO and the rest of the world actually did something. They just didn't forget about it after a weekend. Um, I think that's right. But, but again, I, I think they counted on presenting the world with a coup de main, a fait accompli, I'm going to drop my French terms in this morning, uh, that, that if once they had the government under control, they, they'd go to the rest of the world, what are you going to do? Well, it's what well, it, it worked these, in... These guys advocated. But it worked in Crimea. It, it, it worked in areas where they had a majority Russian-speaking population, yeah. Um, and, a, and a, 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 a population, a local population that was generally not opposed to having them, them come in. Um, it, it's been real interesting, though. I, I was reading a report on what, ha- what what had been happening in those eastern regions that had been under Russian control or, or control of their their irregular forces. You know, it it it's not it's not positive. It's if you're if you're a Ukrainian and you want to look. At what your country is going to turn into under Russian control, all you had to do was look at those two eastern provinces. You know, people disappear, uh, journalists are kidnapped, people are, are executed for you know whatever. Um, it, it, the, the rule of law basically has disappeared. And so, if you look around and you're in Ukraine and you say, "Well, I, I don't have to guess at what it's going to be like under Putin," I, I can see it right there. That's a that's a pretty powerful motivator for. Uh, you know, for 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 taking up arms to oppose something like this coming in, you know, to the to the neighborhood next to you. Uh, can I shift gears on you a little bit? Because I don't know if you've been listening in at all this week, but I've been I've been I've been watching this uh, this thing going on with thing going on the 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 news this week regarding the Chinese stocks that are listed here, the ADRs, the Baidu's, and stuff of the world. And I I know that and Matt Matt will remember this because obviously he was here since day one on the show. When these when these guys got listed, I mean, I, I mean, for a, a week, all I did probably to, I'd, I'd bore them to people. All I did was was talk about how what what are we doing here? I mean, with the greed coming to the the top, that I mean, I can remember where you couldn't you couldn't be listed on New York Stock Exchange unless the common shares had a vote. And there was none of this A B shares like Google and those kinds of things. 
and none, none of that kind of crap to give the one guy all the power. But there were there were there were listing standards that the New York Stock Exchange was proud of. Nasdaq not as much, but still not not bad. And uh, and all of a sudden, in the instance of greed, when this Baidu got listed, and I remember you know Maddie was told me to shut up half the time, but uh, what are we talking about here? There's no voting rights. The assets go to Jack Ma, where the Chinese government can grab whenever they feel like. And all you're doing is getting uh, an income stream out of Bermuda, of all places, I believe was the way the thing went through. Like, what, what's going on here? So, it, I mean, all the stuff that you have to do to be in a, a listed company, you know, the, the, the audits, all the other stuff, I couldn't see how the hell these guys were ever going to do it to any satisfaction of anybody here. But, but Lou, nobody gave a bleep because we got to do it here. It's greed. It's, it's money from their stock exchange. We got it. The, the, the great party line. If we don't do it, somebody else will do it. Well, that has gotten more people in trouble in the history of the world than like anything, probably. So all yeah, of a sudden, it's also made a lot of other people very rich. Well, okay, so now after all this time, of course, the, the Chinese. Do you, want, do you want me to display my cynicism in full on on the show? No, 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 I mean, no, 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 no. Give me, give me a quick because that's not where I'm going on this. So we've known this for a while. I'm going right past this. What I'm saying is now all of a sudden, in the last month or two, these stocks start cratering. The SEC, I didn't read the full thing, so I'm not totally versed on it, which I probably should be, but all of a sudden they are saying, we're shocked. <laughs> There's no audit with these guys. We got a, we got a problem. They're not, they're not listening, you know, you know, uh, ponying up to the normal listing standards. Lou, they never did. They never did. They never promised who they were never going to. So all of a sudden these stocks crater where Baidu, uh, goes from like, you know, I'm, I'm going to say 300 down to 80 or some ridiculous things like that. Massive money made on the short side here if you knew, if you had any idea. I mean, you could have told me what Paul's going to do, you could have told me what all these other guys are going to do. If you told me a month ago the SEC was going to show up on the doorstep of, of these 10 stocks, it's Baidu, 10 centers, a bunch of other ones, and, and they were going to start, they were going to start hitting these guys with uh, all kinds of stuff. I tell you what, an orangutan would have went out and bought puts and made money on this stuff. So now the stocks are getting cratered. The Hang Seng Exchange is going down, it's down 30% or whatever or more in the last six months. All of a sudden, there's a, there's a settlement. We're talking with the Chinese. We're going to find a way to keep them here. The things go flying back up like by 60%. Lou, you can't tell me this, that our people in Washington, are, are they, are they lawmaking or are they just trading? Uh, I mean, again, uh, my question would be who made political donations to whom and under what circumstances? And that, that's what's driving the, driving the train here. And and nobody nobody with a brain. And I I said this the first time China started cracking down on foreign investments, what nine years ago, eight years ago. Um, I can't remember how long I've been doing the show since 2011. So so maybe 10 years ago. So that's when, about the time these guys got nobody, listed. Nobody in their right mind invests in a in a communist country or invests in entities, business entities. That are run by communist dictators. You just don't, because this is the kind of craziness that can happen. And unless you are one of, one of the guys on the inside, you're, you are you you're you're just part of the rabble that can be that can be damaged by these these kinds of moves. Well, how can how can somebody? And I'll, I'll use myself for instance, uh, because the uh, we had our. our uh, Big powwow where you had our regulators in and so forth and talk about what the, what the, uh, the, uh, FINRA and people are going to be talking about this year. And they, they've, they've come, they've overreached to such an extent 
that they say if somebody calls me up that it isn't even a client and says, gee, what do you think about IBM? And I go, I don't know, I guess I like IBM. That that, that is now a recommendation, okay? Uh, that somebody can come back and say, I talked to this guy and he told me IBM was a good company. Well, I, I never said buy it. I never said sell it. I just said, looks, they've been around longer than me. I mean, and they're still here. I guess they must be a pretty good, that's all I'm saying, right? But now you have to be very careful what you say any place, any time. And yet, I, I challenge you to not watch CNBC today and have some massive firm, be it BlackRock, be it somebody, telling you, you must, you, you cannot ignore China and your investments, you must do this, you must do that, giving absolute recommendations all day long. In areas like you just said, why would anybody tell anybody to invest in a communist client, country? Especially if you don't know if the person listens, eighty-five years old and is never going to make another dime. And yet, the the difference in enforcement in, in any case is there any way to stop this, Lou, without like like grabbing guns? I mean, what, what, how do we die? How do? No, how do this is chief. This is again. I don't. I keep repeating myself on the show every six months. This is the nightmare of large federal regulatory organizations and culture the, the 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 enforcement side of this becomes a matter of prosecutorial discretion and it's up to the prosecutor as to whether they decide they're going to enforce this particular statute or that particular statute and that is those are subject to wild variations and whims so this is why for example you saw the FBI decide to wiretap a bunch of college basketball coaches, uh, you know, what was it, two years ago, yeah. with, with you know, uh, on, on recruiting fraud. Who who made that a federal crime? And and why, why do I care that the FBI is doing that versus, you know, going after <clears throat> the, uh, you know, illegal dumping of, of, you know, toxic waste in, you know, in, in places out west here by, by foreign companies? Um, why? Why am I? Uh, I want the FBI focused on that. I don't care about college recruiting. Yeah, who does? A federal crime. Well, we got a dash. We got a dash. But thought that was important. You think we never? What triggers us? You think we'd ever run out of topics to talk about? You and I? I don't think so. No, well, not not me because I'll I'll talk uh, I'll talk and pontificate on anything. You know that. <laughs> that's, that's why you brought me on. That's true. <laughs> you take care of yourself, buddy. SB Futures down fifteen. Nasdaq Futures down sixty four. Be right back, Mister Dan Janitas. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, 
Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Hello, North Bay Station Jacks. I'm Tom Riley. He's Mr. Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures now only down 8.50. This has been, uh... Maddie, you haven't been, uh, here this week, or or part of last week, but the, uh, the amount of moves we've had on breaks. We've had, like, 50, 60-point moves in the NASDAQ during breaks. We've not... In all the years you and I have been doing this, Never seen anything like it. <laughs> we'll go to break and I'll say, uh, NASDAQ futures are up 10 and we come back and I'll say they're out 60 on break. This wow. Is, this has been, Dan, am I right? The last couple of weeks crazy or what? You are absolutely right. Things are moving very quickly in all directions. <laughs> in all the, upwards, downwards, sideways, whatever it is. Uh, the, uh, I'm sure your eyes were glued. By the way, how are you? I'm good. Good, good. The, uh, good, good. uh, you went out and you were, hopefully you didn't fill your tank up last week. You left a little room for this week. Should be a little lower. It should be a little lower. You're right. And, and I, I didn't, I'm waiting. <laughs> so it should, yeah, the gas prices should definitely be coming down. I mean, we've had a pretty significant decline in oil prices. Um, a little more stabilization, I would call it. They're flying back up today, though. I don't know why. I'm not sure exactly why that is. I don't know if you've, if you've seen anything. I, I haven't, but they, it, maybe it's just the balance, but they're back over 100, at least the West, or, uh, Brent is. Um, and gold's firing back up again here today, too, so, but it's, it's, it's the ever-changing marketplace, huh? Yeah, I mean, it seems like there are days where there, there are themes to each of the days, and you have commodities up one day, oil, like, say, silver gold, silver and gold in, oil being back up a little today, and then there are days where some of our infrastructure names are up, and then there are days where, you know, Kathy's arc is up, you know, and yeah. so it, it, it seems like there's, you know, depending on the, the amount of risk, um, things are trading, and they're trading, like you said, quickly, and they're also trading with um, just volume, and also um, fairly significantly, too. I mean, the, the amount of volatility is, um, you know, it's understandable, I think, with the conflict. I think it's understandable with, it's less understandable now after, I think, the Fed's move, because I think the Fed did what was expected. It was as middle of the road as they could have chosen. I think with 25 basis points, there were people pushing for more. And then, then for the first time, I had started hearing people pushing for less, and I just think they're not as well informed of what's going on. But, but I think the reason we had the the nice rally yesterday is just that this is what was expected. 
uh, and you know the fact that there'll be continued hikes um, for the rest of this year, and that there'll be some normalcy in terms of trying to get uh, the real rate, you know, back at least to zero, <laughs> if not, you know, in a place where it's going to be um, in positive territory at some point. So I think there, you know, the it was long overdue, but it wasn't too much and it wasn't too little. It was probably, you know, just about right, and and I think the market liked. The fact that it wasn't uh, it wasn't a surprise. Why? Um, I had some uh, actually discussions here with uh, PTI personnel, uh, very bright people that still work here at PTI and uh, still work. I've always worked, and uh, the uh, I, I I think Dan for me, I mean the, the the discussion was all about. It's gotten to the point where we we've, we've let people kick around economic terms to such an incredible. Thing where people don't even understand the definitions yes. anymore, <laughs> and, and, I, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's intentional. If it's, I don't think it's a positive. And uh, as the question was, when you say a new, because uh, Paul used the term neutral rate, and he said it was two point four percent, which I think is a little light, by the way. Uh, right. But uh, say say it's, I'm going to say it's between two seventy five and three and a quarter. That's now, what I'm thinking. Yeah. Now, 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 my definition of a neutral rate was I was explaining here. I said, you know, this, this goes back to, you know, classical uh, current, uh, monetary policy. I mean, classical Keynes too, for God's sake. It's it's a it's a uh, interest rate, a risk free interest rate, at which you're not either causing inflation or causing deflation. You're, and, right. and, and it roughly corresponds to the. I'm going to say the almost the natural. My, some of my guys in my history of economic thought, two semester class in Chicago, they said one of the most amazing constants in in all of human history is that the real interest rate is somewhere between two seven eight two and three quarters and three and a quarter. Where that's if if you lend somebody a hundred bucks and there's no inflation, there's nothing else going on, base and it's risk free. I mean, of course, if it's risky, you're going to get more. Uh, the number is about three percent. If you if you lend a Stone Age guy a hundred stones at the end of the year, you want a hundred and three stones back. I mean, that's how far back it goes, basically. But at that at that rate, you're not you're not pushing inflation, you're not pushing deflation. And we're we're so, but now we've got people, and even you, who's about as learned as it as it gets, are saying the number yesterday is okay. How exactly do you fight a ten percent inflation with a point five percent? Federal funds rate. I mean, you're not you're yeah. not even on the same planet. But I'm, I'm, I got some here. I should send this to you, Dan, because if I ever want to wreck your whole weekend, I'll send this to you. It's uh, what the hell's the name of this thing? It's the Federal Funds Rate History. It's high, highs, low charts, and, uh, and comments for every time it was done. I'm back here to 19. What year you want to go? 72. Uh, let's go to 73. We went. Uh, GDP was 5.6 percent. I don't know if that was adjusted for inflation. I'm guessing not. Uh, it was probably the nominal number. Unemployment was 4.9%, and inflation was 6.2. All right. In January, federal funds rate was 6, with the, with the title stagflation. February went to 65 March 7%. No notable events. In April, it was 7.25% with inflation to 5, 5.1. This is when they're trying to fight the inflation. And by July 17, it was up to 10 and a quarter. This is this. That's that's how you price inflation, or how right, you fight yeah. inflation. You don't that's, you don't yeah, do it by by point five percent traditional way. And, and and I, by the way, I totally agree with you. My my uh, comments just to clarify are just that the market 
was what the market right, was right. expecting. And what we need is, I'm, I'm on your side with that. I mean, I think 50 basis points would have been a good start um, yesterday. But but what the market is, you know, is looking at and is willing to accept and is, is liking as, as a thing, is, you know, is just like the, we've gotten started on this and it's behind, but, um, you know, it's not too much. I was very surprised to hear a lot of the comments afterwards just that people thought even 25 was too much, and I just don't know where that is coming from. Um, and I, I absolutely agree with you that the terminology and the understanding for people who aren't in our field um, are, you know, is, or certainly don't have the experience of, of, you know, remembering inflation from the 70s and understanding how it works, you know, it's, it's, um, it's very confusing. Another point that I'll make is that oil is not necessary and gas prices are not necessarily indicative of um, inflation. I mean, you can use the word inflation because prices have gone up, but there are commodities that trade, you know, with a lot of different factors. Things that are sticky, inflation that's sticky are going to be wages. Wage, wages, when wages go up, those, those are going to be sticky and wages are going up and have been going up. Um, that's going to, those wages are going to stick around. Um, food prices, maybe you're, maybe you're in the middle, depending on whether they're food, whether it's food that's related to a specific commodity. So we, we're, you know, what we know is that we're likely to see continued increases in food. Um, you know, real estate prices, um, food, anything associated with the home is, you know, it's going to be cyclical as well. So there's going to be, you know, we are going to see, um, a cycle. It's hard to lump all these um, items into a one basket as, as we try to do with inflation and say this is, we're seeing inflation but everything is going up and people are now having to pass costs on to con- consumers and customers and even service people are passing on costs as well because they're having to pay more for um, for living just just, did just, you, uh, just for living so it's Did you, uh, I'm assuming you have better things to do, uh, the PPI number that came out um, and I, I um, if I were to say that I was an expert on PPI numbers, I would be lying, so I'm not going to do that. But the last few months, I've kind of looked into it. It's, it's somewhat, somewhat fascinating. It's a lot different than CPI. Um, yes. But now, the, the first two months ago, when I dug it out, I noticed that with the, the whole number, there was a big disparity between the price of services, meaning what people are getting paid, versus the price of goods, right? Now, it, it was a little bit of a dis- like last month was what point nine percent, and I think the the services might have been point three or four or something, and the, and the goods were like one and something. So there was there was a big disparity. This this one this week where everybody was championing the fact that you know inflation is going down because it was point eight instead of point nine expected, mm-hmm. which is total BS. But yeah, did, did you see the did you see the detail that the the service part was unchanged, and yeah, the goods part was two, was two point four. So basically, I, if you're a dentist, you're not charging any more to te- clean somebody's teeth, but the toothpaste just went up 2.4%. That, that, that is not healthy, I don't think. No, and I actually just came, I was actually at the dentist yesterday, and, and trust me, the prices have gone up considerably. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, but I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is this, the, I, the people in the service industries are not keeping up with the, I mean, a lot of this was energy, right? We all, we all know yeah. that. You know, so, but still, that's not, you wouldn't expect that the price of services to be unchanged. I, I wouldn't, but yeah, but but, but it's first. I think there will, there's a certain you know questioning the reliability of the numbers and, and where yeah. they're oh, yeah, from. Oh yeah, 
and and how much they you know they're actually um, indicative of what's what's going on. And then I think secondly that there is a lack of fact. You know, people are having to pay more than as a result they have to increase fees um, for services that they charge. So that that goes up as well. Um, but yes, I agree with you. In theory, you know, there shouldn't have to be an increase in in a certain service that's provided, uh, assuming that it's not you know they don't have um, material costs. But that being said, what is happening is the cost of many of these service companies are going up, whether it's labor costs or materials or overhead or rent or whatever, and they are passing those costs along. So, and, and once that happens, that that inflation across the board. The other thing I want to mention is that inflation is global. It's not yeah. just here in the United States. It's it's you know every country is now facing the, the same thing, and I think that kind of you know knowing that that it's global sort of solidifies the fact that this is not short term and we've we've been saying that and we know that because this is part of a long term secular trend. Um but it you know it isn't something that's going away. Yeah so I, uh, it, I would agree. but you know, it's funny when you mention uh I, I don't wanna <laughs> I guess we can go close to home, uh Dan. Uh you and I are both in the money management business, right? And among you know, we do obviously the brokerage business and other things, but for somebody who wants their money managed, let's just say, for instance, uh, um, you know, we're going to charge whatever. The, the, the going rate seems to be, I don't know what people are paying elsewhere. I think they're paying a lot more, but the going rate seems to be 1%, right? Say, say it's about right. there. I can't imagine, and, and you, first of all, you don't want to charge too much because it screws up your track record, right? Obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine, no matter where the price of anything else goes, of you and I being able to charge 2%. Ours is never going to go up. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and, you know, I've actually thought about that recently as well, um, especially where you're expecting returns, at least in the short run, not to be as significant as yeah. they were, say, in the last decade. Um, you know, this is a hard environment to, you know, to expect um, those kind of returns. Once rates go higher, um, then I think it could be revisited, you know, after another year or so and, when rates have gone higher and you're getting paid more to sit in cash, um, cash alternatives, you know, high yield bonds, for example, then you can start justifying, or I can start justifying because, because, you know, it's, it's not as large a percentage of their, you know, their income that they're receiving. Um, but, but at this point, no, I agree with you. We don't have that, um, ability. And the other thing that we haven't had and other professions haven't had it as well is, is just we have not skipped a beat through this whole COVID period, and there's been a lot of right. things going on with people coming into work, leaving work, especially, you know, people resigning, and that's that's contributed a lot to inflation. I still believe that the biggest factor here is, is labor, labor shortage, um, talking to people even over the weekend, just sort of trying to get a sense of, you know, going to the AT&T store and hearing, that you know, the two women saying that they're the only two left working there because everyone else is left. And they can't hire anyone, and they're paying more. But they can. But the, these same people can go to Walmart and get twenty-five bucks an hour. So why are they going to come to the AT and T store and get twenty? So it's it's um, you know. And then you know, I ask a few more questions. So like, well, why would they come back to work with higher rates? And then, oh, her boyfriend pays for this, and the mother they move back and with the parents. So so there's a dynamic going on out there at that level, and also again at sort of the retirement level. Um, where people have retired and have accumulated all this wealth and have just made the decision, hey, I'm not going back. So, 
So that is still has to flush its way out of our system. Well, Dan, you got to get people back to work. There's, the, you know, this labor issue is still, you know, left over from the overpayment, as I see it, of the of the EPP money and the, you know, and so we've got these really two these two forces that are really going in very different directions. But at some point they'll collide, and the, you know they'll start coming close together, and there will be more of a need for people to get back to work, and as a result. Companies will be operating at at you know fuller fuller employment, and maybe can um, you know not have to. You know, I think it's going to help help prices, help inflation, help equalize or um, the economy a bit here on the supply and demand side. Um, but I think it has to happen before well, we're going to see. A, you were uh, uh, you were the guy. Uh, believe it or not, I I make it a, a point of remembering. Anybody who comes up with something new, and, and you came up with the idea of your buddy who was calling around all the help wanted signs, and nobody called him back. Yeah. Uh, right. I'm going to lap a couple numbers here at you, because this, other than your business, which you love to talk about, which we should talk about a little bit more here, but the uh, you seem like you really are into this. You're, you're, you're like a, an expert on this labor versus stuff. And I'm going to lap a couple numbers at you. The And I'm going to say, um, without predicting, you might actually agree with me, uh, this, I'm looking at this, uh, usdebtclock.org. They got a median income in 2000 of like 31,000. Uh, and their median income this year is like 36. This is for an individual. Yeah. I'm going to say that's, that's a tad light probably, but say it's 38 or something. What, and, and, uh, and just, just looking around the businesses and the companies and so forth, I'm going to say in the last 20 years, the, the, the wages of the people at the low end of the shtick, uh, didn't go anywhere. Where the people right. at the top end of the shtick probably doubled. You know, I'm not right. saying you know, I mean, to the point where it, it's you know almost a crime when you think about it. And I, it does not surprise me that with just a little bit, it's sort of like oil. All you got to do is get a little bit too much, and the prices crash, and a little bit too little, and they go flying up. I'm going to say that I'll use an economic term that nobody uses anymore. I'm going to say the demand for labor in the short term is very inelastic. You can't make new people that fast, right? Right. Uh, so my point is, it's not surprising to me that when somebody hasn't gotten a raise off 10%, $10 an hour in 20 years, that once that starts to move, that somebody's going to say, hey, I, I, I can't I can't live on 10 If, if Walmart's paying $20, i am out of here. That that really the the problem AT&T is having is not getting not being able to get people at the price they think they ought to be able to get people because they have for the last twenty years. I mean, I mean it's not that's not total right. that's not totally the deal. But since you're the one who brought that up, how 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 far do you want to go down that road? I mean, I'm going to say that if they're willing to pay to twenty five, people will stay. I mean, it's not like there isn't some kind of shortage, but but by and large, like by you know one of my uh, Kevin who comes on on Wednesday and Friday, we had the big thing. I don't know if you listened just weeks ago, actually months ago. We talked about this great shortage in truck drivers. Yeah, and he yeah. and he was talking about he, he he Kevin does his research like you do. Uh, See, so he, he's hard to argue with like you are. <laughs> he digs out a thing about fifteen trucking companies. And there's trucking companies that have a ninety percent turnover every year. They they can't hang on to anybody. And then there's other guys that have a two percent or five percent or ten. Where they somehow they pay people better, they manage to get them home one or one or two nights a week. They do it right, and nobody ever leaves. You know, and, and and you now whether the chairman of that place is making as much as the chairman of the other place and screwing everybody, I don't know. But I mean, a lot of this 
has to do with these guys have been really able to treat people however they damn well felt for the last 20 years. Right. And, and, and now that ship seems to have sailed, at least temporarily. I mean, argue with me here if you can, because you're the one who brought it up. Am I going too far with this or no? No, I mean, our whole our whole thing is, is, is looking at the management teams of these companies and how they handle issues, including their labor their labor issues. And that's a question I ask every time I'm on the phone. But, you know, how are things with labor right now? And where are you, where are you finding the most? And what incentives are you providing to try to keep people or to attract new talent? And do you have the... Um, you know, do you have the right um, education, you know, um, programs, training programs, even if they are for less skilled laborers, you still need a certain amount of training, whether it be on a job. So you, they've got to they've be offering, um, they've got to be offering an environment that's comfortable to work in um, or even enjoyable to work in, which I think is what people are looking for. Um, they've got to offer the flexibility if, they have, if they're in an industry where they can do, you know, hybrid or, you know, give people the option of, of, of working from home at least part of the time. And then they also have to provide the salaries and benefits that are going to be appealing. And so, yes, if the, if the manager of the, of the AT&T woke up and said, hey, you know, I've got some really good people working here. I don't want to lose them just because they've, they've brought in a lot of business. Um, I'll pay them a little bit more as a bonus um, to keep them, to retain them. So I would say, um, yeah, I mean, I think that would be, that would be good management. Those would be good management skills because in the end, you're going to, your business is going to do a lot better. And these costs are relatively small compared to what, um, you know, how your sales are going to improve in, over this period. So, um, yeah, I got yeah, a real, it, a real, uh, this is a it's way too narrow of a question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, have you, have you bought a cell phone lately or, or got a new one? Yes. Have you gone, uh, when you talk about the people at the AT&T store, I, I wonder if that's a, uh, almost a, a selective singular problem. When I say that, uh, I was I'm looking for a phone, so I went online and I went to T-Mobile, and I'm chatting with a with a actually it was a lady, and uh, they were don't go to the store, don't go to the T-Mobile store. Those those guys will screw you. They're they're they're, they're cannibalizing their own place. Yeah. I don't um, know if you notice that. Yeah, you can. I do both. I check online and then I go in person. And if things are, you know, the, if the prices are pretty. Comparable. I like to be able to see and touch if it's oh, a new too. phone what what I'm using and and I was fortunate that these people you know were knowledgeable in terms of the product and I could ask the questions. Um, I, I think that can be true. They, you know that can be true with with phones, but I think it can be true in other yeah. things as well. There are some products you can get cheaper online, um, so it's not worth um, going into the store. Um, but now we have some problems with delivery, so those items that are you know that you can get yeah. online less expensive might take three weeks to get. Rather than just going down to your store and getting them when you, you know, if it's something you really need. So, you know, that's, that's part of the process as well. I think from what I'm hearing from most, um, employees and from most companies, senior managers, um, it's kind of split in the freeze. Um, people want to, there are people that want to get back to work. They miss that socialization. They, they want to be there face to face. And they, they say that accounts for about a third of the people. There are people that want some hybrid. They want some more flexibility. They want to come in, but they also want a day off or, or a day that they can work from home. And there are still some people that want to work remotely. And the companies that have managed that the best, I think, are the ones that are going to do best going forward. So um, I still think there's going to be a need for face-to-face in a lot of businesses, you know, retail especially. I think, you, you know, you can do certain things over, over the Internet once you've purchased something, but then when it comes to... Um, you know, looking at clothing, furniture, even a cell phone, you know, you're going to want to put it in your hand and see what, you know, if 
if this is something that makes sense, see what some of the functions are, play around with it a little bit before you actually purchase it. So um, I will say that one thing I've noticed is the level of customer service has gone up. Um, that's across the board. I'll even say that with interactive brokers. And I think that's, uh, the, again, the management teams uh, pushing customer service, and I think that's a way of differentiating themselves. Um, also, the people who are left working um, have to work, and they want to work, and, and they happen to be good customer service, you know, have good customer service skills. So so that's the good news in all this, um, is that you've got a higher level of customer service. I've even noticed it in restaurants. Um, they just, you know, much much better customer service, and um, people aren't just working there because they have to make money. They're working there because um, they enjoy being servers, enjoy uh, working with people. So... Um, one thing I want to mention, though, um, is just sort of you know how to invest in this environment of, yeah, of volatility and news, and, I, and I'm going to say that what has continues to get cheaper are high yield bonds. Um, that spread on high yield bonds has widened out, and that means that they're you know you're getting more yield for the same maturity. And when we were talking just a few months ago, that spread was at 270 basis points, or 2.7 percent more than a comparable U.S. Treasury of the same maturity. It's now widened out to 400, so they look a lot more attractive. But the other thing that's happening is we can't expect rates to continue to rise. The yield curve is flattening. And we've spoken about this before. Flattening yield curve um, is predicting slower growth out, 12 to 18 months out. So this is just, you know, we've seen it a significant sharpening I mean, flattening of the yield curve um, over the last few days. High yield bonds are going to be attractive in this environment, so you could go and buy a five-year high yield bond in this environment and get about six and a half to seven percent. Um, if you wait a little longer, you might get even more. Um, but this is a time to start looking. You know, we'll have some ideas coming there soon. I'm already looking at a couple things, um, but I, I don't want to mention them until I have a you know 100 uh, percent. Uh, well, I think the timing is just right, but there's um, there's an area that is <coughs> growing, if you will, for some good ideas. High yield market is also very smart. I think there it's a, a good indication of what's really going on in the economy, what's going on with investor sentiment. Um, you know, if you look strictly at growth equity investors who are looking to make more and more money, that is not necessarily indicative of where um, the values are of the of the stocks that they're buying. Um, and whether the, if there's a lot of demand, it could just be people fear of missing out or whatever. Whereas I think high yield is a much better benchmark of Danny, economic, a, future economics. A lot of the places, this will be a short question here because we'll talk more about it next week, I hope. Uh, there was, I mean, you've been on for a while, and when, during the, the, the Trump years, and this is not a slam, this is not anything, but he, he fought the tariff war, and the idea always was, I mean, I thought anyway, and I think a lot of people felt the same way, that if he ever could cut the quote, quote the right deal with his counterpart in China, that all that would end and you could be left with a factory half up and all of a sudden everybody's buying the stuff back in from China. And now we've had, you know, some further push that way with supply chain issues and things like that. Is the attitude among the, the middle, say the middle manufacturing group that you seem to be very expert at, uh, is the attitude now, is it, do they feel a little more comfortable that they could they could put up a two year plant and at the end of the day still have a market when they're done with it? Is it is there is there a little more uh, you know confidence that some of the business is actually going to stay here than it was say three years ago or, or still not there? 
No, I think we're definitely getting there. I think that's definitely the move. I even think that's part of the reason that oil corrected. I think there's, you know, there's definitely a move even in the um, energy sector that they're going to continue to produce. And actually, the next thing I was going to mention is, is utilities, for example. You know, they, they have the green light to continue to, you know, expand gas companies. Um, you know, it's just a question of how, you know, if they see it being profitable to them. But, um, yes, I do think that there's going to be more of a... Um, focus on the U.S. and, and you know, if, if there's anything good that's come out of the war is just a reminder that, you know, um, we have issues here to deal with in, in terms of, uh, you know, getting our economy to a place that is not not so much just self-sufficient, but actually provides jobs to people here. Um, we have resources here. You know, we still are the largest producer of oil in the, in the world. So I think the focus on having um, businesses here, factories here, um, is a positive one, and uh, hopefully the, the administration doesn't get too swayed by, you know, uh, issues, and hopefully companies don't get too swayed by lower costs overseas. So uh, hopefully this is a, a wake-up call to continue. Um, what I'm seeing on the fringes is just that there are there is development, there are plants going up here in the U.S. There's, um, you know, across the board in several different um, businesses we're seeing, you know, manufacturing picking up. Um, we're certainly seeing infrastructure picking up, which is why we we still like infrastructure, even though it's sold off. So, so yes, I would say that is absolutely in the process of well, happening. Good. And Dan, thank you very thank you very much, buddy. Have a nice week. Uh, do you have your you bracket? Do. You have your brackets all set? All set. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you get a, the perfect bracket, a million dollars. Was it a million dollars every year for life, Manny? Is that the deal, Warren Buffett? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> S&P Futures down 16, Nasdaq is down 70. We'll be right back with Jeff Flanagan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you are aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we have always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. 
And I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howley. Just met Weber on the board. SP Futures down 15. NASDAQ Futures down 69, which isn't uh, very much considering a huge run-up yesterday. But uh, uh, we're a little bit of a pause after two two of the most incredible rally days, really. I mean, I'm sure there's been two days that were more than the last two, but I, I can't remember when. It's been a long time, uh, which, you know, obviously we were getting down pretty low. So a bounce, uh, whether it's just a bounce you know, as, as one thing you learn in the, in the business, Matty, is that nothing is more severe than a bear market rally. But then they just, then all of a sudden it's over and it goes back down again. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see whether we stay up here or not. Dow futures down 112 in the Dow. Actually, Chevron Texaco back up three bucks because oil's coming back up. Everything else is down just a little bit, but nothing, nothing crazy. Amazon's down 16 bucks. It was up like 90 yesterday or 80 bucks. So I'd say nothing is showing anybody that it's going to be a, a reversal of yesterday. Over in Europe, DAX down 147. That's a full 1%. That's way more than it was a little while ago. A FTSE up 19.3%. CAC around down 176 They were, I would say the, the DAX was almost unchanged an hour ago. Uh, so that's a big drop. DK up 890. That's 3.5%. These guys are all catching up. Shanghai up 44, 1.4%. But this is the one, boy, if you didn't, if you didn't, uh, take drugs, if you traded this Hang Seng two weeks ago, you should do now. It's up 1,400 points. It's 7%. Is all of a sudden these companies that were going to get thrown off the exchanges and stuff here, now they're not. Uh, Hang Seng has been flipped around by this totally now for the last three, four weeks. I guess if you're on the good side of that, you did well. If not, you, eh, I don't know what happened to you. Uh, feet first, I think. Dow Jones down, uh, I'm sorry, up 518 yesterday. S&P up 95. It's 2.2%. But look, get this, NASDAQ 487. It's up 3.8%. It's a huge day. Uh, bonds, uh, down two basis points, 2.16, the 10 year rate. The Bund, uh, minus one basis point, but .39. Japan pretty much unchanged at 21. Well, we got a rally in the oil market here. Oil up 543, 100 hours and 47 cents in West Texas, back over 100. Uh, Brent up 574 to 103.76. Natural gas up 8 cents, 483. Arbob up 14 cents at 312. I never saw gas prices go up like 10, 15, 20 cents a day. Again, Keep saying this is crazy, but it is. Uh, gold up twenty eight dollars, nineteen thirty seven. Big move in gold. Silver up seventy one cents. That's a three percent move in silver. These commodities are whatever. They're they're all over the black. It's twenty five forty two. Copper up four cents, four sixty five. And crypto up three fifteen and forty one thousand and one. A lot of stuff, Mitty. What do you got for us, Travis Weather Sports? 38 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. Earlier crash on the outbound Edens is all clear, but we are seeing some heavy traffic volumes up building on a Thursday, St. Patrick's Day morning. As we're uh, seeing some uh, heavy traffic about 45 minutes from O'Hare into downtown on the Kennedy. Edens looks okay. As I mentioned, that earlier crash at Foster is all clear, uh, but traffic building also on the Eisenhower and Stevenson. And on the south side, it looks like uh, we have a crash on the Bishop Ford. This is on the inbound side just before 111th Street that's been moved to the left shoulder. 
No other accidents in the area. Weather today, another nice um, late winter near spring day. Not as warm as yesterday, but still above normal and even warmer further inland. But in the city, uh, we'll be mostly cloudy with a high of 59 today. Right now, it is mostly clear and 54 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 80. Right now, it's clear and 65. In sports, Bulls lost in Utah last night, 125-110. Suns beat the Rockets, 129-112. College Hoops, it was Notre Dame advancing into the uh, field of 64 as they won their first four game in Dayton last night over Rutgers. It was a great game. Double overtime. That saw the Irish uh, score in the final two seconds to go up 89-87 to and beat Rutgers. Uh, Notre Dame will advance to play number six-seeded Alabama uh, tomorrow in San Diego. Number 16, Wright State, won their first four game over Bryant, 93-82. to Their reward, they get to play number one, Kansas. The uh, rest of the tournament tips off this morning, 11.15 a.m. Central Time. First game of the day is number 11-seeded Michigan versus number 6 Colorado State. Looking forward to the NCAA tournament as always. A lot of baseball news yesterday. Cubs uh, were one of the headliners as they signed Japanese uh, MVP outfielder Seiya Suzuki uh, to a five-year deal. That's not official. It's still pending a physical, but it sounds like it's pretty much a done deal. But a lot of former Cubs went elsewhere. Chris Bryant, seven years, $182 million to the Rockies. Anthony Rizzo returns to the Yankees on a two-year deal. And Kyle Schwarber's back in the National League. He signed a four-year, $79 million contract with the Phillies. Chief. The, uh, this, this guy, the same kind of, uh, well, same kind. Is he a, a, a good fielder like Ichiro? Uh, he's more of a power hitter in the in some of the videos I've seen. He's not like a Ichiro or a Fukudome, of, who was kind of a poor man's Ichiro that the Cubs had back in the mid two thousands. Uh, he looks more like a slugger to me. That's a high walk guy, high power guy, and a right fielder that uh, should have a big arm. But he's not the the fast athletic guy, at least in the videos I've seen. Yeah, Jan, how are you? I'm fine, Tom. Happy St. Patty's Day. Oh, you too. I'm gonna. Um, maybe I'll see you at the Tripoli tonight with a corned beef sandwich. Hey, I, I'm, well, at least it's, it's legal to do that this year, unlike yeah. two years ago. Yeah. Uh, a question for you. I don't know if you'll get the other the other ones here, but Mr. Weber might because he's heard this before. Trivia question. Ichiro uh, has now uh, has joined recently, and I've been well for the last couple of years. Uh, a very rarefied group that had a 300 lifetime batting average and 10 gold gloves. There's only four people there. Can you name them? I don't think I could. Oh, I can't. Maddie? Um, I could probably name some of them. I know if you've said this one before. Um, I know that you, Ichiro, obviously. Uh, I think Willie Mays was right there. Uh, Roberto Clemente. Yep. Is that three? Yep. And then uh, I think the the sneaky one was always Pudge Rodriguez. Uh, no, was or he, he was he, right there, wasn't he? He fell out. He he hung around too long, and I think his lifetime batting average is like two ninety eight or nine. Okay, so he he fell out. Who would be the fourth one? Uh, one that I would never have guessed because I this would be back before the interleague play. Uh, God, who's the guy's name? His brother caught for the Cubs. Uh, the second baseman that spit at the umpire. Oh, Roberto Alomar. Yeah. Yeah, Robbie Alomar Jr. Yeah, yeah he, he was, he was, a, he was a, a very good player in the 90s um, that played for a few teams, but was kind of best when he was with Toronto. It's real hard to have that lifetime batting average of 300. Yeah, especially this day and age where, you know, 300 is almost unheard of now. Yeah, it yeah. was it was not as unheard of back in the 
70s, 80s, and 90s as it is now. I mean, now if you're a 265 hitter, that's considered you know above average. Well, plus Wait if you, good job. Yeah, well, but if you have a long career, uh, my my two of my first guesses were uh, Al Kaline, and I think he dropped off to like you know 290. Did he win 10 Gold Gloves? I think he did. Yeah. Wow. And I think he and uh. That, that, first of all, that's a pretty rarefied, rarefied group to start with, because uh, the Gold Glove didn't start to like fifty-one or fifty-two. So did Sandberg win ten? No, I know he was nowhere no. near a three hundred lifetime hitter, but he no. He most had, people he had to win quite a few, didn't he? He was like six or seven, which is okay. a, real, a lot of guys are at that level. But I mean, if you show up, there's always somebody there ahead of you who's really good, right? Yeah. So you you wait for a few years to get one. So to get ten after that is like a lot. Uh, but LK Line and uh, the guy from. Uh, I'm surprised he's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Hernandez, first base. Keith Hernandez, yeah. You know he was, you know, he's about as good he's as good he player. Gets. Well, he was, you know, he had with 298 lifetime batting average, 10 goals, but don't get much better than that. I mean, he was a hell of a player. And uh, by my count, it looks like Sandberg won nine Gold Gloves. Nine, wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but you go down that page. The guys, the guys who have won the most are pitchers. But he was, uh, he was a 285 career batting average. Yeah, but the, the guys who were didn't. Uh, is uh, when Maddox was what, like twelve, and wasn't Jim Cott? Like I think 14? Maddox was more like nineteen or something. Well, I thought well, somebody's more than that. Was it Jim Cott? I, I can look it up. Yeah, I think Jim Cott is a, is the most of anybody. Brooks Robinson is what twelve or something or fourteen. Uh, I mean, there's there's guys that were just that good. But the weird part is, if you ask Brooks Robinson, he said he wasn't the best third baseman. Cleet Boyer was in his era. He just got on TV more. I mean, he was a pretty humble guy, Brooks Robinson, pretty pretty nice guy. Anyway, so John, we're talking about some interesting stuff, and you know, I'm going to say I probably shouldn't even say this on the air, but I think Dan is one of the of a he he understands all the rotten crap that's going on, and yet he just shakes it off and, and digs out a good company here and a good company there, and he and he feels good about the world. And you know what? That's that's catching, isn't it, Matty? <laughs> I agree. It is. And before we get back to that, Greg Maddox, 18 gold gloves, oh. most all-time by a pitcher. Jim Cott, 16. Oh, okay. Second most all-time. And then it's a big drop-off. Bob Gibson, third all-time with nine for a pitcher. Which is amazing since he used to f- – he totally fell off toward first base. Yeah. He was just such a good athlete. Yeah. But, yeah, back to uh, Dan Janitas. Yeah, he is uh, somewhat of a breath of fresh air because – no matter the political wins or, or war or COVID or whatever, he typically stays optimistic and kind of focuses on his niche of, yeah. of uh, companies that he follows and researches and uh, tries to, to uh, pick winners for people. Well, he gets in a car and he goes to a company, finds people that are doing, doing the right crap, and he feels good about himself at dinner. You know, <laughs> there's a lot to be said for that, didn't it? I mean, it, he finds good people, it seems, and he, and he loves doing it. I, I think that's and he does all the light work, you know, yeah. and it's dependable stuff, and you you trust him. I mean, yeah. that's what I find. I mean, I don't know any of this stuff the way you know, he does or you do, Tom or Matt or anybody else, but but I I get it when I listen to people like Dan. What um, yeah, I mean, it's a uh, it's anyway, it's, it's very refreshing. And you know, but I think many well now that you got you're not getting out as much. They get the you know the baby at home, but it is always kind of fun to go to a, a whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a company, whether it's a Whatever somebody has a business going, and they and they you find out that they're hiring some people and they're doing good and they're you know and they're good guys. Those are good guys or ladies to start with, and it's we still have a lot of that going here, even in the midst of this mess. That's why I I, I really get on our leadership when they try and when they try and screw us over. I think because left our own devices, I think we can do a pretty good job. Um, just saying, as long as we don't change the rules like every month, 
which which they seem well, to love. It's about to changing the rules, Tom. You, you mentioned the ward remap. Yeah, Nefu, yeah. When, you know, when you're talking to Lou before, but um, that's going to be an interesting bellwether of um, a lot of things. But uh, as as typical, you know, it's about as untransparent a process oh, yeah. as you can get. And the fact that it's going, to, you know, up for a referendum in June doesn't mean that the process will be any more transparent than it was well, Jen, before. What's the you know, it had to go this far. You you try to find any version of these you know competing maps online, and to find out if you were one in one of these interested areas that are being bandied back and forth. I don't think anybody. Even the most imaginative map reader could figure out what these boundaries are, and that's by design. So, well, the uh, the new representative map that evidently just came out, right? For for the uh, the house, the Illinois House. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm I am I'm always admitting <laughs> you're never going to get me to say that I'm an internet maven. I used to be able to find the house map relatively easy. I challenge anybody to to try and find this new one and try and compare it to the old one without right. being Harry Houdini. Because I, I, I wasn't to say that Maddie can't do it or you can't do it, but I tell you what, I couldn't do it. And I, and I spent a t- you know I spent a reasonable amount of time going, all right, where's the new map? Where's the old map? <laughs> Can I look and see the differences? The answer was I couldn't. <laughs> like you say about transparency, there is none. But and I, you know why, Tom? I mean, it, it, the one place where you can see these maps kind of in all their glory is when you go to a polling place every couple of years and they'll have the precinct maps up on the wall for the precincts that are voting in that room and you can see all the precincts in a, in a polling place if there's multiple precincts that are gravitating there but you can see exactly how small and carefully crafted even these precinct boundaries are oh, sure. the precinct boundaries that get moved around and get shoved over into other wards or other legislative districts whatever and those are carefully, carefully parsed by people in you know, the inner workings of the parties because they know exactly how the people within those precinct boundaries voted in the last 200 elections. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they know if they, if they can keep that little corner in ward so-and-so and not let it go to ward so-and-so, they've preserved an incumbent or they've weakened a threat to that incumbent. They know ex- exactly what the impact of all these crazy sawtooth boundaries are as far as what they're trying to achieve in, in terms of the body of people they're protecting. If you can find any version of these competing ward maps, for example, look at the one for this for Ward 2, and it's, it's about as imaginative a ge- geometry problem as I had in high school. <laughs> it's, it's got like two pieces of the ward that meet at one point. You know, it's like two triangles that you know share a single point, and that's it. There isn't anything else contiguous about these two sections of the ward. I'd like to know who the heck found it so important that these be in the same ward, and you know what's behind that. You would never get a straight answer about it. But the whole process is full of those kinds of anomalies, and it's just—it's going to be really funny to see. First of all, how the questions are worded for the referendum, because that will be. You know, it will be probably causing people to vote on purely racial. Well, I'm going to ask you some questions. I have one, one more, um, and and what kind of input there will be ahead of time. It, it, you can't really expect people to make intelligent choices about maps they've never seen and don't understand. What kind of a referendum is that? Well, it's it, it's going to come down to uh, well, let me, let me revisit what I was saying about me not being able to look at the maps. Uh, that's probably not exactly correct, but what I'm saying. 
Matty, here's how do I phrase this? You you couldn't expand the map of a district enough to to uh, to where the streets at which it was running down were visible in terms of names. Right. So in, here here was here's a map of the fifth district, but you couldn't dig into it enough to say, well, look, it's running along Western Avenue, it's running along Belmont. The, you you couldn't get the level of detail to find out where exactly they were. <laughs> And By some of design, these are down yeah, alleys, yeah. which aren't even named. Yeah. You, know, you have to kind of guess, well, this is the alley between streets A and B. But, right, if you don't have that kind of information, what, what good are these maps? They're like, you know, the sort of jigsaw puzzles they had for kids where you put, oh, yeah. put the dates together. You know, you could do it, but you had no like, a clue about longitude or latitude, and that's what governs all of these things. And then a city the size of Chicago... You know, these 50 maps get moved, you know, the 50 war maps get moved around all the time, but there is absolutely no way to track the impact of any of these changes, all other than the fact that somebody wanted it this way. And I'd like to know who it was and why they did. Well, I mean, you know who it was and why, but uh, go through the law. The, the law is if the city council cannot come up with a map, you know, signed by the mayor or whatever, whatever, how they do business there, that the 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 selection has to go to quote the people right somehow that's in the charter I mean I, I don't have right, right they have to get forty one aldermanic votes to adopt a version of the map and no version of the map got forty one votes okay so now so so something has to go to the people in the term in the uh, words of Richard J Daly uh, not the duh people and uh, so but now what what would stop you and me and Matt saying, "Here's a third map. This gets to be voted on too." I, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna be. All oh, the woke people are gonna be throwing stuff at me. It seems to me, from what I've what I've heard, is that unfortunately, because of a lot of the crime and all the other stuff, the African American community has dropped essentially eighty thousand people in the last decade. Correct. Right. And the Hispanic community has grown. The Asian community has grown, and I'm going to say the white community is about stable, maybe down a little. Am I am I close here? Yeah, might be up a little, but might be up, but, but very minuscule, small, minuscule. So, that's percentage uh, points. So the fight, I think, and, uh, and again, this I guess is going to sound anti woke, is the African American community does not want to lose the influence that the eighty thousand people. In other words. They should quote they, which you know I hate. I, for a guy who's colorblind, I hate to even say something like that. They say have fifteen aldermen. They don't want to go to fourteen, even though they've lost eighty thousand people. Right. That that appears to be the big bitch here. And now, uh, you know, and I'm I'm really sorry in those neighborhoods where you're losing those people because they should be growing. Why not? If we had jobs here and everything else. I want everybody here. I don't. I'm not, I don't want to kick anybody out. It's always been my mantra. But there's there's no way you retain. I mean, you know, if, if the African American community drops to ten percent of the city, hey, I'm sorry, it's ten percent of the influence, right? I mean, it, right. And it's mandated that these wards have to have comparable populations so that they are. Yeah. Of, and that means they, they're always going to be tweaked. And some sometimes they'll be tweaked out of existence. It'll be a, a completely different looking ward. But by the same token. Um, there are some wards that have never changed their boundaries, right? Very, you know, at all. Well, there was a big, there was a big change not that long ago. I, I've been flipped in and out of the thirty fourth to the forty third like four times in the twenty years I lived right where I live. I keep changing. There, there's maps. There've been maps 
uh, this this map is uh, the current one. I've been with uh, what's her name? What are we with? Well, Maddie, when you were with the same group. No, we we're, we're with uh, Daily. Are we Vi Daily, Maddie? What's I, her name? I have no idea. I I never it was Vi Daily. Who's the lady that she just won a very contested? Michelle list. something. Michelle Smith. Michelle Smith. It yeah. used to be Vi Daily. Now it's Michelle Smith. But we've been. We've been wide, we because we, we, I met he lived in the building for a while. Uh, we were wider Zach for quite a while. Remember, he's he's uh, the one west of us, and now we're back with Michelle Smith to the lakefront ward. But our, our block, that little ranch triangle, we, we we flip all the time. We've been Danny Davis a couple times, and we've been uh, the other guy Quigley a couple times. So we're we're right in the. Uh, we're one of those sawtooth pieces that keeps passed back and forth, Jen. Well, and you know, that's really, I mean, that's a, a sign, Tom, that, that the voting patterns there are fairly stable so that they know how people in that little triangle vote and they are perfectly comfortable giving it to another ward, knowing the effect it will have on that ward's total you know, vote turnout the next time. So it, that, that knows that they have a, a, you know, a quantity that they can depend on and they're not frightened of the effect overall that it's going to have on any of the, the races that really, really... But our, our uh, hour, I keep saying hour like many still in the building, uh, our state representative and state senator, we're one of the sawtooth pieces there because the person there is from the west side. So I'm going to say the district is... Maddie, give me a number. 75, 80% black west side. And we're the little finger into the white community. Well, not that there aren't black people on our block. There are. It's very, very integrated. But we're, we're into the, uh, shall we say, different economic spot than the west side. But there's no chance in hell any one of us is ever going to meet that person or they're never going to come camp. You, you get something in the mail, but you don't, you don't know these people. They're, they're, they're never coming near us. So that, that's obvi- it's obviously a way for that Power group over there, which happens to be African American, to to essentially, I'll take take over, you know, other uh, votes of five thousand other people because you've got fifty there, and then the city's all all over that. Right, and, they, and they, these precincts are grouped in order to achieve yeah. the kind of plurality that the machine has needed to keep this seat one that's you know comfortable for whoever the mayor happens to be, or uncomfortable. Um, and it's it's all about you know, bringing like together with like. So it's harder to do that when you've got you know population depletion like you have in a lot yeah. of wards on the south side, or where you've had massive development, say in the last ten years, where this whole neighborhoods that have sprung up for which there's much less of a track record of voting patterns for all the, the new residences that have been put up there. So this this kind of throws the system into into turmoil. And they 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 don't have that kind of stable information. But wouldn't it be better if they just gave everybody? And you could do this online in ways you couldn't do it fifty years well, ago. Well, two questions, but we only got a minute. Thousands and thousands of copies of these things and having them intelligible to people. But it would be incredibly easy to do it. You know, they have them, but none of the aldermen even get it. No. They're they're given ten minutes to go into a room when these maps are unfurled, and they get to see where yeah. their ward boundaries are if they're lucky. Because well, look, in ten minutes, what are you going to do? All right, I'm down to one question. We probably don't allow cameras. I'm down to so one. They don't even get a shot at it, and then the voters don't even get ten minutes to look at it. So, right. what, a, what a ridiculous process! I'm down to one question because we only got like ten seconds. If 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 you and I and Maddie did a random randomly drawn map, can we get it on the ballot or no? I'm saying no. Well, you got it helps to have aldermanic support. You know, you got to get somebody who will introduce it and have it debated and reviewed by the, the rules committee. 
And, you know, there were some competing maps that got no aldermanic support, and there was grassroots effort to keep some of these things alive. And then, of course, you had the independent commission that, you know, the Latino caucus got behind, and then they had the rules committee of the city, which has the black caucus backing. But there were other maps that didn't get any kind of exposure or circulation, and, and no alderman wanted to touch them. So if you don't get any alderman behind it, um, it's like with any, anything else in the city council. You, you might as well be in Siberia. You know, so the no uh, help for you. Right, so the simple answer to the fair map is no. Right. <laughs> on, on that <laughs> note, would be unfair like all the others. <laughs> on that note, S&P futures down nineteen, Nasdaq futures ninety six. Nice job, Maddie. Good to have you on Thursday, uh, John. Thank you. Back tomorrow, stocks and jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.